Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi, Covenant family and friends. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In case you're not aware, we have started the in-person worship services across the three centres. And those who came have found it to be spiritually uplifting. So if you are well and able, I invite you to join us by booking a seat through this website. See you. Today, we are also delighted to accept some 41 new members into our spiritual family. We may not know them personally, but each one has been saved and sanctified by Christ and set apart to serve God. So will you join me to pray for them as they begin a new journey with the Lord? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that each one of these brothers and sisters are known by you. We thank you for how you have tutored them in the past and as they look forward to a new season in the covenant community, you will empower them to know you, love you, and serve you. Would you pour out your rich grace and mercies into their life and let their journey be filled with your abundant joy and goodness to glorify Jesus all the days of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the year 2020, we have been preaching through the Gospel of Mark. In recent weeks, we have been looking at the final days of Christ in Jerusalem. We saw how the religious leaders sought to trap Jesus with different kinds of questions. There was a devious political question like, should we pay taxes to Caesar? There was a tricky theological question. Whose wife will the woman be to the seven husbands who died one after the other after the resurrection? While not forgetting an honest religious question that asks, which commandment is the most important of all? But Jesus was magnificently brilliant and wise. He outsmarts them all. So much so that Mark chapter 12, verse 34 said, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Today we will cover Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 44. And there are three accounts all together. It starts with a question asked by Jesus, then an indictment from Jesus, and finally an evaluation from Jesus. But here's the key lesson from these three accounts. If Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Son of God who saved us, that we need to move from an all-show Christianity to an all-in Christianity. See, an all-show Christianity means that we are driven to impress others on the outside, put up a good Christian show, look good, sound right, but it's hollow on the inside. You will discover this in the Bible today. That's the way of the scribes. But an all-in Christianity seeks to get out of a life of superficial pretense and get into a life of passionate devotion and piety. There's spiritual vitality and substance in the inner being. You will discover this in the Bible today also. And that's the way 
of the poor widow. So would you right now open up your scripture to Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 44, and let's discover this key lesson for ourselves. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, open our eyes and our hearts to who Jesus really is to us today. Help us recognize where we are truly spiritually so that by the redemptive power of the gospel and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we might rise with healing in our wings to soar towards you with great joy and delight in all circumstances of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go to the first account, a question by Jesus. Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 37. Allow me to read to you from the ESV Bible. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so out is he his son. And the great throng heard him gladly. It appears that Jesus is going on the counter-offense here. He confronted the scribes and they were the Bible scholars and teachers of the law in Jesus' day. Jesus went head-on and surfaced the real issue they had with him. For context, remember that a few days back on Palm Sunday, the crowd was shouting in Mark chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It was clear to the people that they saw Jesus as the promised Messiah that has come from the line of David. From Mark's chronology of the events in Mark chapter 12, one scholar remarked, after a day of questions to Jesus comes the question of the day, by Jesus. Jesus asked in verse 35, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Then Jesus quoted from Psalms 110 verse 1. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What is Jesus trying to say here? You see, in Psalms 110 verse 1, the Lord, right at the beginning, in Hebrew means Yahweh or Jehovah. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, says to my Lord, in Hebrew, Adonai means master. You see, therefore, in quoting Psalms 110 verse 1, Jesus is saying to the scribes, why did you say that the Christ is the son of David? When David himself, who is likely the author of this psalm, calls him Lord or Yahweh. Therefore, if Christ is the Lord of David, then how can Christ be a son of David? I'm sure the scribes were probably stunned by Jesus' question that day. Interestingly enough, the crowd enjoyed listening to it. Probably they were still reeling in from the triumphal entry and their perception of Christ as the political king. Or they were just having a good time watching the scribes squirm in discomfort. But in summary, 
Jesus is not denying that he's a descendant of the line of David. He's simply saying that to the scribes that he is more than the descendant of David. He is the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Jehovah Yahweh of King David. Jesus essentially was revealing his true identity. Something the scribes had missed over and over again. They were stuck in their own beliefs and biases. In other words, what Jesus did privately with his disciples back in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, who do you say I am? He now brings this crucial question to the public in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 to 37 in a very different way, but with the same intent. Who do you really say I am? In application, brothers and sisters, this is the crux of our Christian substance and devotion. Who do you say I am? For if Jesus is your Messiah, your Savior and Lord, how then will you live? I think the recent announcement on the closure of Robinson shocked many. 162 years old company. It was said that many of us grieve over its closure. Then Salt and Light Media Ministry published an article on the founder, Mr. Philip Robinson. You can read for more details at their website. But the key thing I want to highlight is this. Mr. Philip Robinson was not just a businessman whose main goal in life was to expand their business and earn more money. The article reported Philip and Eliza Robinson were growing in their conviction that they were called to be Christian witnesses in Singapore. You see, this is only possible because Jesus is the Saviour and Lord uh, Mr. Philip Robinson. So in 1864, they began the missions room and thus birthed the Brethren Movement in Singapore. In 1873, nine years later, they left Singapore and returned to England. Occasionally, they would come back to Singapore for some visits. Then unfortunately, in 1886, 13 years later, he died from a kidney disease. But such is the life of one who inspires us not to live for one's own kingdom and gain but to live for Jesus and His kingdom gain. So if Jesus is your Saviour and Lord, how then will you live? Let's move to the next account, an indictment from Jesus. And there I want to read to you from Mark chapter 12, verse 38 to 40. And in His teaching, He said, Beware of the scribes, who likes to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer, they will receive the greater condemnation. Here you see Jesus stepped up the game and he outrightly condemned the scribes' preoccupation with externalities. I call this an all-show Christianity. In those days, you could easily recognize a scribe because he wore a long white linen robe which reached to his feet and was hemmed by a long white fringe. Their dazzling white attire made them stand out wherever they went and especially among the common people. They were power dressers par excellence. Jeremiah, a great New Testament authority, says in his book, Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus, that all people rose respectfully when a scribe passed by. 
these scribes were greeted respectfully as Rabbi, meaning my great one, or master, or father. When the scribes came to the synagogue, they sat in the place of highest honour. They sat facing the congregation for maximum visibility and with their back against the ark that contained the sacred Torah. When the wealthy threw their parties, scribes were considered necessary ornaments to adorn the meal. They were given a place of honour, reclining to the right or to the left of the host. The scribes were honoured above the aged, even above their own parents. In verse 40, when Jesus said that they devour widows' houses and make long prayers as a show or appearance, he was stating that since the teachers of the law were not allowed to be paid for their services, they were dependent on the gifts of patrons for their livelihood. Now, such a system was vulnerable to abuses. Abuse to poor people who had to give out of their limited resources and also wealthy widows were preyed on by the greedy and unscrupulous among these men in exchange for their religious prayers and services. The Bible teacher Ken Hughes concluded with these words, It was to these proud birds that Jesus turned and promised judgment to such as this. In application, brothers and sisters, it is very clear that Jesus could not put up with such a display of hypocrisy and pretense among the scribes. For they have no idea who the Messiah is and what the Messiah requires of them. They lived in their own world and therefore everything is self-glorifying and materially motivated. I call this an all-show Christianity. Brothers and sisters, this is a stern warning from Jesus. The 21st century Singapore Christian can be preoccupied with many self-glorifying and materially motivated pursuits and it leads to great superficiality and inner emptiness. There's such a danger that our Christian faith has become like the culture around us. Listen to this deceptive and destructive mantra. Name it and claim it, that's what faith is about. You can have what you want if you just have no doubt. So make out your wish list and keep on believing and you'll find yourself perpetually receiving. Now, some Christians say we should live like our Lord who didn't much worry about his room or his born. But we know our Bibles say he became poor so he could enrich us and give us some more and more and more. How deceptive and dangerous it is when one lives by these false words. If Jesus is truly our Saviour, our Lord, then we must reject this externally driven, all-show Christianity. We come to the final account, an evaluation from Jesus, from Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to verse 44. Let me read. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. There is no doubt that this account is meant as an acid contrast to the way of the scribes. As you read the text, aren't you intrigued that Jesus is a people watcher too? Verse 41 tells us, He sat down on a bench at the court of the women, where men and women were allowed to come and where the offering boxes are. And there he sat and he watched the people putting money into one of the 13 trumpet-shaped offertory boxes. They were called trumpets because they were shaped like inverted horns, narrow at the top but enlarged at the bottom. Now remember, this is the Passover week and the temple will be bustling with crowds of people. So what did Jesus see? Now look at the several contrasts that is intended here. Verse 41, Jesus says, many rich people. And in verse 42, he contrasts that with a poor widow. In verse 41, they put in large sums. But in verse 42, the poor widow put in two small copper coins. It's only one-eighth of the American cent. In verse 43, the contrast there, the poor widow has put in more than contrasted with the rich in verse 43, all those who are contributing. In verse 44, they, the rich people, contributed out of their abundance. But the poor widow in verse 44, out of her poverty. And verse 44 continues to emphasize what that poverty means to her. She has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Take a short moment to take a deep breath and take all this in. Brothers and sisters, you need to know this. Jesus is not against people who are rich and wealthy, as though all rich people are unspiritual and their gifts are unacceptable. Neither is Jesus saying that you need to give everything you have in order to be accepted and approved by Him. What Jesus saw that day was not that which is visible or tangible, that which is on the outside. No, what Jesus saw that day was the invisible, the intangible, that which is on the inside. He could see their heart's motive and motivation. In covenant, we refer this to as our inner posture. And as George MacDonald said, when we feel as if God is nowhere, He is watching over us with an eternal consciousness above and beyond our every hope and fear. I think this segment of scripture is best summarized by John Calvin, the reformer. He saw Jesus' word as double-edged encouraging those who have little and a sobering exhortation to those with much. So Calvin remarks, the lesson is useful in two ways. The Lord encourages the poor who appears to lack the means of doing well, not to doubt that they testify to their enthusiasm for Him even with a slender contribution. If they consecrate themselves, their offerings which appears mean and trivial, will be no less precious than if they had offered all the treasures of Croesus 
which is a collection of artifacts from the leading kingdom. On the other hand, those with a richer supply and stand out for their large giving are told that it is not enough if their generosity far exceeds the commoners and they are underprivileged. While with God it rates less for a rich man to give a moderate sum from a large mass than for a poor man to exhaust himself in paying out something very small. What words that we should consider? In application, it is true. Money speaks. It tells of the state of the heart as few other things can. And Jesus chose this place to contrast the phony righteousness of the religious establishment with true devotion to God. J. A. Bangor, an 18th century commentator, beautifully noted that a poor widow, she gave two, one of which the widow might have retained. She gave everything. On this Passover, she was silently saying to God, I love you and all that I have is yours. Here's my heart, my life. Wow, what an all-in Christianity seen in this poor widow. When our in-person church worship services reopened on 4th of October, some of the Mandarin and Hokkien congregation members came with their offerings capped over the months. They didn't know how to do eat giving. And isn't that inspiring? Look at the picture. I like the blue piggy bank. In fact, the offering you see in the envelope, the giver had to work that day. But she brought it to the pastor personally and said, Sorry, I, I can't come to church on 4th October. But this is my offering to God. Such an amazing all-in devotion that we can learn from. All these months through the COVID pandemic, many of you continue to give faithfully to God via the e-platforms as well as checks. And our overall giving by end October this year is 5% above the revised budget for 2020. Thank you for all this all-in love for God and His church. Not forgetting the additional 424,000 raised for the Blessed Migrant Workers Fund and all the faithful volunteers who delivered all the thousands of meal packs during the circuit breaker. We praise God we have used some 150,000 so far. And our ministry today continues with the workers in the dormitories. What an all-in love demonstrated by covenanters for our neighbours. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus saw that day. He saw the poor widow's heart and her all-out devotion for God. Jesus saw an all-in Christianity. In conclusion, I trust that the key lesson has been made clear to you from these three accounts. If Jesus is our Saviour and Lord, then we need, we must move from all-show Christianity to an all-in Christianity. As Jesus taught about what true devotion and piety looks like in this text, very soon, He will have to live out this message in a few days' time. Jesus will give up everything for us on the cross. That was His ultimate love and gift for each one of us. The Saviour and Lord of this universe rode into Jerusalem in the humble donkey. 
He didn't resist the false arrest. He didn't fight back. He didn't marshal the heavenly angels to save him from all the pain and torture. He didn't wipe out his enemies. But instead, he submitted totally to the heavenly Father's will and gave his all to us. If so, then we must reject the all-show Christianity and move into an all-in Christianity. For this is the only acceptable and worthy offering we can give to Him. Let's go all in for Jesus. Let me close with this testimony. Recently, one of our church members' father went home to glory at 91 years old. His name is Daniel Ang Ah Tai. Uncle Daniel came to know the Lord when he was 54 years old. And over the next 37 years of his Christian life, he lived passionately as a child of God and the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. His family shared some of these snippets of his life. For example, they said daily quiet time is very important to him. My father spent time with the Lord early in the morning and late at night. My father journaled his learnings from his time with the Lord as well as what he learned from sermons. He would spend hours writing all this in cards and go make photocopies of them. He would then hand this out to people he meets in the church, on the streets, wherever he may be. And even at his old age, he still memorized verses. Another one, Dad shared the gospel freely. When he was in his 70s, he spent much time at Changi Airport, befriending lonely old men sitting by themselves. He would listen to their stories and tell them about Jesus. He even visited some of them at home when they were immobilized. Oh, Dad had a heart to serve God. At 90 years old, even though his walking was literally snail pace, he was part of the visitation team to the elderly and sick to bring them God's word, to pray for them and to share the gospel with them. Oh, Dad loves to worship the Lord. Whenever we have our regular family gatherings, worship is part of the highlight. He would choose the songs and give a short message to all his children and grandchildren. And he would point us to the Lord Jesus in his own simple ways. The final snippet, and I love this one best. This is what my dad said about serving the Lord. When the Lord calls you to serve, you must say three things. I can, I will, and I must. I can do what God calls me to do because He will help me. This is faith. I will do what God calls me to do because this is obedience. And I must do what God calls me to do because this is gratitude. What a blessed man of God who has demonstrated for us that if Jesus is our Savior and Lord, then we must move from an all-show Christianity to an all-in Christianity. May God empower each one of us. Would you bow your heads in prayer? with me. I want to speak to those who are non-Christians. If you are not a Christian and you're hearing this sermon, then the central truth you must hear is this. Jesus gave His all, His all 
to you when He died for you on the cross. The Bible says this is the free gift of God so that we might have a relationship with Him and experience His love and life for us. Therefore, if you are nudged in your heart today to receive this gift, then now simply pray this quietly in your heart with me. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. By faith, I open my heart and receive this free gift today. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Amen. If you have to say this prayer, then just scan the QR code that's going to appear on the screen now. Get in touch with us so that we can continue to journey with you. For the rest of us as believers, would you take some time now just to be still, just be quiet before the Lord, cease from all distraction, and let this song minister to you and strengthen you for an all-in discipleship for Jesus. This is my desire to reflection questions today the first as we search our hearts in what way have we been caught in all show Christianity secondly you could also discuss with God's enabling this is how I want to go all in for Jesus share one action steps would you right now bow your heads with me as I pray God's blessing upon each one of you to Him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you. 
were glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811, or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.